So, would you prefer to be lost at sea or lost in space? At sea, because it's more familiar. Like, I've been to the ocean, I've been to a sea, I've been to a lake, other large bodies of water. <laughs> um, and I think if you do happen upon uh, any sort of life, if you're lost at sea, it's going to be less scary. It's going to be a little more familiar. Not guaranteed, but more so guaranteed than if you're in motherfucking space. That's true. That's true. Even though I see that shit at the bottom of the ocean. No, it, you definitely could run into some crazy shit anywhere. But what I'm saying is if you're on planet Earth where you're from. True, true. Like, eh, Yeah. Much more likely that you're going to run into something that isn't going to want to kill you. And also at least like you can breathe. There is that. I mean, we do have oxygen in the atmosphere and you're not stuck inside something. I guess it'd be like the real comparison would be lost in a submarine or lost in a spaceship. I would say still submarine. Mm-mm. You cannot get me under the water. Really? Really. I am terrified of being underwater. You'd rather go to space? Yes. I've been inside a submarine. Fuck that shit. Interesting. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Event Horizon? You mean the fantastic but unfortunately poorly received 1997 sci-fi horror film? Yep, we're talking about the uh, newly credited cult. Yes, it just sort it of just achieved... It just kind of achieved cult status. Yeah, um, thanks to streaming, yeah. Yeah, um, you can find this on HBO Max. Hulu. And Hulu, they're really pushing it on HBO Max, though. Yeah. Um, and they're apparently making a... Uh, a series out of it. Yeah, I've seen that, that. That's they've tried to do a bunch of different takes on this because its first push into cult status was during the like VHS era, yeah. right after it came out. It actually did really well in home box in home box office. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't in the actual box office. Well, so what what kind of happened was uh, Titanic was actually supposed to be the summer movie that year, mm-hmm. but they ended up having to push it back because it was costing so much money to make titanic yeah because james cameron just throws money at problems yeah and they were they even they said that it was a um expensive shit show of production yeah. for titanic <laughs> so they were like well okay now we don't have a summer release and so they set event horizon to be the summer release so the cast and crew were working around the clock mostly the crew and the mm-hmm. um editors and everything were working around the clock to hopefully have something put together for the summer release yeah i mean they really had to push up production usually you get about 10 weeks that's the dga standard it's guaranteed Mm -hmm. by the dga um against a certain amount of principal photography that you have 10 weeks to edit yeah poor paul ws anderson not paul thomas anderson (laughs) different director worst career has it was like okay well i i I can do it in six i guess I'll, i'll get you done that is a full month less of editing. Good God, can Oof. you imagine editing a film of this magnitude I know, in six weeks? Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that when I read that, I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So in case you don't know, I'm Nicole. I am Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. And that's correct. W- yeah. And in case you're new here, we're going to be doing our normal format. And what that is, is Topher will take us through the uh, cast and the crew, shout them out, who made this thing, and then I'll take us through the plot, and then in our third segment, we will dive deeper into said plot in our analysis portion. So, Topher, without any further ado, who made this thing? Paul W.S. Anderson. Correct. You might know him as Mia Jovovich's husband. Mm. Um, he directed the first Mortal Kombat, and like all of the Resident Evils. Okay. 
he's, you know, the guy they go to when they want to adapt a video game. Fair. The original Mortal Kombat is fun. This is his only good movie. Mm-hmm. This movie is solid. Even with all the problems, I actually really love this movie. Mm-hmm. The Resident Evil movies are fun, yada, yada, yada. But he's, yeah, like I said, he's the guy who they asked to direct video game uh, mm-hmm. adaptations. It was written by Philip Eisner, who I had to make sure wasn't related to Will Eisner. Okay. Of the Eisner Awards, right? The ones they give to comic books. And no? He is not. Okay. Yeah. Phil Eisner, Will Eisner. I thought that there might be some connection there. Mm-hmm. But there is not. Sorry. <laughs> it stars... Lawrence Fishburne, two years before The Matrix, and serving us. I oh, he's great. love him in this. And Sam Neill as Weir. Mm-hmm. They're both really... like The whole cast is really good, but they are giving command performances in this. Right. This is Sam Neill coming off of Jurassic Park and Lawrence Fishburne like coming up to The Matrix. I'm yes. pretty sure this is why he got the job as Morpheus. It makes sense. Which is funny because I was watching The Matrix just before we watched this last night. I know. I was going to ask you if, there, if that was... The reason, or if it was just it was because the, it's because the Matrix trailer came out. Yeah, and for the new one, it looks really amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I remember loving the first one. I know I love the first one. And I was watching it. It's like I do love the first one. <laughs> it's really good. It's a very good movie. Love that. Um, we have Kathleen Quinlan as Peters. Mm-hmm. Jolie Richardson as Stark. Richard T. Jones as Cooper. Mm-hmm. Loved him in this as well. Oh, I yeah. thought uh, Cooper's one of my favorite characters in this. Mm-hmm. Jack Noseworthy as Justin. Jason Isaacs killing it as DJ. Another great performance in here. Yeah. And uh, Sean Pertwee as Smith or Smitty. Yeah, this cast is really strong. Um, Yeah. Everybody gets a great performance. No question. Yeah. I mean, whenever you have kind of a lost in space or it's like a stranded type movie, it ends up being an ensemble cast. And this one Mm -hmm. really works well together. Yeah. Solaris is like that. Alien is like that. Um Another very similar film, uh, Sunshine, is like that. Again, command performances from everybody in that. I think Solaris might be, might be a better version of this. It is, in my opinion, it is. It's a little less um, up its ass with the sci-fi. Yeah, it's a little more, and it's also Tarkovsky. Like Tarkovsky is one of the greatest directors of all time, if you ask anyone. So it's you know one of those things of like, well, of course it's better. Uh, Cinematography was from Adrian Biddle. Uh, another cinematographer that I really like. Mm-hmm. He, unfortunately, this is our RIP for the episode. Oh, goodness. <laughs> His final film was V for Vendetta, which is a movie I don't love, but it's also related to the Wachowski sisters because hmm. they did it. Um, but yeah, he he like started working at like 15. Hmm. So because he was such a good swimmer, they brought him on to help with camera uh, underwater filming on You Only Live Twice. I have not seen that, but that's really cool. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny thing. Like, you know, you're you're such a good swimmer. We're going to hire you for this job. Well, I mean, like, think about it. You have to, like, work a camera underwater. No, no, right? I get the like, logistics, <laughs> obviously. I'm just saying it's funny if someone, I yeah. if I got a job offer saying, like, we're going to give you this job because you're such a good swimmer, I'd be like, thanks, Mom, for all those swim lessons. <laughs> right. You know, like, it's just funny. Yeah, I get that. That is, it is a fun, uh, it is a funny like career path, champion swimmer to DP. So his yeah. first directing, his first director of photography job was on Aliens. Aliens, the sequel. nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then he like he did Princess Bride and Willow, two of my favorite movies growing up. He did Thumb on the Weeds. Like he's worked with Ridley Scott a bunch. He did Judge Dredd. Nice. The Mummy. Like he's he had a really good career. He's stacked. You know? Also six feet under. So you know, pour one out. Yep. Pouring out for the homie. 
Last person I wanted to shout out was production designer Joseph Bennett. I love the design of this movie. It's so pretty. Like, it's it's like ugly pretty. You know what I mean? So did you know that a lot of the Event Horizon was inspired by the Notre Dame? I did not. Yeah. Um, so even the stained glass uh-huh. was used as a model for, like, I want to say the corridor in the Event Horizon. That's awesome. Yeah, they, like, took... Please excuse me for, like, any wrong terminology here. I don't understand this whole thing. But apparently they took, like, a 3D model of some sort of the Notre Dame and then right. um, basically just, like, literally took bits and pieces of it and put it into their 3D model of... And, like, kind of messed with it and put it into Fuck their yeah. 3D model of the Event Horizon. Yes. I know what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't know how to say it, but it makes sense to me the way I'm saying it. I don't know. That's... Yeah, no, that's a good summation without getting too technical. It's well done. Yeah. Um, that's really cool, though. I did not know that. Well, yeah, because uh, Paul Anderson said that he was so inspired by architecture in general, and especially, you know, some of these landmark places. Yeah. And then there, he was also very uh, inspired by uh, Gothic art and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just, you know, and wanted to put those bits and pieces into his movie. And I think that it... It did create, like, a really eerie atmosphere, and the actors said, like, man, going to work was, like, really, like, they are like, I hated going to work, and it had nothing to do with the crew. It was just, like, being <laughs> on that set was so frightening That's and just, awesome. like, eerie. And, yeah. Yeah. Because I can definitely see, like, um, you know the bit where they're all fucking, well, this is jumping ahead, but where they're all, like, going crazy and shit? Mm-hmm. And it has, like, the bloody orgy is what it's referred to? Yeah. Uh, that's very Hieronymus Bosch, so I can understand yeah. where he's coming from there. Also interesting, I'm realizing that the Nostromo uh, from Alien mm-hmm. looks like uh, Notre Dame. Hmm. So I wonder if, that because this film was so inspired by Alien, that he did mm-hmm. that as a reference, but he said, well, I can't make the ship look like it, because then it's just Alien. Maybe. But if I like use the interiors, that's different. Inter- that's and it's an a nice reference. Question. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, as we said, this was a rushed production. Um yeah. so it ended up coming out in August of 97. Mhm. Uh it was originally slated for like I think October. At least, yeah. yeah. Cuz it is a horror film and I think they wanted to put it out in October or just ahead of, you know. Yeah, and then like we said Titanic and Event Horizon switched. Fuck you, Jim Cameron. <laughs> I really don't like him. I know you don't. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they did have a $60 million budget on this. Mm -hmm. It's a good mid-range budget. Even in the 90s, that was like still considered like not huge budget. Yeah. And it, yeah, it failed at the box office, making only $42 million back. Uh, That being said, still love it. Big fan. I I, This movie, I first saw it 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Very stoned with a good friend on a couch in college. It's one of their favorite movies, yeah. (laughs) Which actually, I guess, brings me to what I wanted to uh, the note I wanted to end on. This is a double wreck, and we wanted to shout out both the people who recommended this and thank them. Thanks to John Elkins and, of course, Dina Klimkina herself. Thanks, guys. We love your wrecks. Sometimes we uh, we do ask for them on Instagram sometimes, but our DMs are always open. If you see a movie and you're like, I wanna, I wanna hear them cover this, then like shoot us a DM. They are always open. Yeah, and if you have my number, just text me. True. Some of you probably do have to over number. Because <laughs> um. I just write it down in the podcast Bible. Um, but that being said, that's all I got for production. Do you want to tell us what the hell happens? If I can decipher it, yes. <laughs> I, I am here to help. Um, yeah. 
So, in 2047, whew, we're going to be old then. <laughs> Not really. Um, we're going to die before that. We're going to probably. Climate change is real. Yikes. They get a uh, distress signal, SOS. Um, oh, da- you're in danger. Event Horizon's in danger, girl. SOS. Like the ABBA song and the Rihanna song. How many, how many SOS <laughs> I don't know, they're both references great. can I make? So Event Horizon, it's, we're already dropping the title. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, is a starship that disappeared during its maiden voyage. Yes, I will be saying it like that. <laughs> to uh, the nearest star seven years before, so in 2040. Yeah. And it's in a decaying orbit around Neptune. She going to crash. Which I'm kind of upset that we never get to like... You know, like that moment in Alien where they come upon like a, a planet and you're like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of mad that we don't get that moment here with Neptune. Apparently it was in the original. Well, one, Neptune's a gas giant, right? Yeah, but like I still want to see it. Yeah, I guess we, we only see it from space a little bit. Yeah, I want. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I feel you. You know what I mean? Like I, I do. Know. Yeah, it's it's I love the exteriors in this because they did actually use physical models, which is why this movie still looks really good. Like the CGI looks like shit, but the practical effects are good, though. They look amazing. Yeah. yeah. So it's reappeared in a decaying orbit around Neptune. So we've got a rescue vessel named aptly named Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Of course. Of course it's named that. So, we've got our crew. Captain Miller. That's Lawrence Fishburne. We've got Lieutenant Stark. Pilot Smith. Medical Technician Peters. Engineer Ensign Justin. Dr. DJ, which I love that. <laughs> Dr. Dr. DJ. DJ Gallad. <laughs> He's getting Dr. a lot of love DJ on this podcast. I don't know why. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. <laughs> it's just come up. I don't know. Um, Dr. DJ Tanner. We can do a full house reference, too. We can do a lot with DJ. And rescue technician Cooper. And then we've got Dr. William Weir. Yeah, so he just has joined this crew. Jurassic first Park time. man. Yes, Sam Neill. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> this is what happens when you wake me up at the ungodly hour of 1 a.m. to record. I mean, p.m. to record. I was say, sir, it is afternoon. It is morning. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Ba, 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 ba. Um, and we learn that Dr. Weir designed the Event Horizon. They're like, yeah, how do you know so much about it? He goes, I built her. Bruh, I'm sorry, but that scene, that scene throws me. I get that they're explaining it to the audience. Yeah, it's exposition. But the fact that these people on board are like, huh, I've never heard of this before. I'm like, no, 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 no. Well, you wouldn't be in space. You'd be in physics 101 if you hadn't heard of this before. Well, they've heard of like what it is, but he does like he ends up explaining more about the engine later on. Yeah, but, but like, like I'm talking about that specific scene where they all look really dumbfounded that he's explaining when he's folding the paper in half. So I like this scene for the reason that it's I like when we have like working class space folks, right? Like that's the whole thing in Alien, right? Is it it's a working class crew? Yes, they're specialized. Like you have a doctor, but he's like a field doctor. You know, this is like a military sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they're not scientists for the most part, right? Or they like their science is applied science, not theoretical. And so now you have Mister Theoretical here with Sam Weir. Or uh, I've combined the two names, <laughs> Sam Neill's character Weir. Um, he's the one who's like a big theoretical guy. So that's the that's sort of like the and he's inexperienced in space too. This is his first like space voyage. 
So I, I, guess I like I'm, that as like a, a, a tension between everybody. That's fair, but I guess what I'm saying is like you take physics in high school. Yeah, but this is not. And we're in 2047. Yeah. So I, yeah. But again, I think <laughs> it's it is like I think it, I, it's a plot hole. No, it's just a hole in a paper. Oh my god. <laughs> You're gonna defend this movie to its death. While I, I really it apart. am. Yep. This will be fun. Hey. <laughs> no, that's why we're here. Um, but anyway. It is rare that we disagree. Yeah. So it's it's um, an experimental gravity drive is what we're talking about. Yes. Um, which generates an artificial black hole and uses it to bridge two points in space um, in, in time. Yeah, space well. time specifically. Space yeah. time. Whatever. Whatever that means. So it's basically how you can go zip, zip, zoom, zoom between point A and point B. Yeah. You basically lose no time getting from mm-hmm. one to the other, which sometimes I really wish that airlines would figure that out because some of these flights. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the whole point of the ship is that it was supposed to, it, it's supposed to be impossible. Like one of the, one of the crew members even points that out that like, that's not possible. Relativity is a thing. He goes, yeah. So we didn't break relativity. We went around it. At least they know that. Yeah. See, it's a good movie. <laughs> well, We'll discuss that in a minute. So the distress signal is filled with distress. Um, <laughs> it is distressing. It is distressing. Sure. Um, lots of screams and howls. And so DJ believes that he can decipher this Latin phrase, meaning save me. Mm-hmm. So they get to the event horizon. They're like, here we are. <laughs> We're here to save <laughs> the previous crew. Um, and they don't, they find a, a, a very bleak state. There's evidence of a massacre. I mean, there's blood on the walls. There's. <laughs> it's not cute. It's not what you want to see. A floating, eviscerated body. Like. Yeah, it's really, um, alarming. So they, they're on the search for like any survivors, anybody. Mm-hmm. But then the ship's gravity drive activates, which pulls Justin into the resulting portal and causing a shockwave that damages the Lewis and Clark, their, um, their, ri- their, their original, original ship, yeah. ship. So this forces the entire crew to board the Event Horizon. So this is already kind of... We, we know that none of this is happening just because. Like someone... Yeah. We, this, is, this is a good example of an alien type movie where you're not seeing the alien or seeing the monster or the antagonist. Yeah. It's all um, things are just happening and you're like, okay, we know that that was on purpose by somebody. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and we even keep saying like, the ship, that's not possible. Like, there was no one else there. The ship can't activate the drive on its own. Exactly. So... With that knowledge... Yeah, with that knowledge, it only gets worse. Justin um, is comes back to the crew and he's completely in a catatonic state. He, oh, he is completely is out. he is not doing well. Eyes he wide open, but unwell. there's nothing going on. He is completely traumatized by whatever he saw on the other side. Um so he attempts suicide even by yeah, he sneaks out once yeah. he wakes up. But then is saved by Miller, forcing the crew to place him in stasis. Um Oof. Yeah, yikes. So now we kind of start getting the uh, supernatural part of this where we, as audience members, have to decipher what's real and what's not along mm-hmm. with our actors or our characters, not our actors, our characters. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, so 
they're starting to see people in their past that either they feel guilty about or they did wrong or were wronged by or just something traumatic happened in their life to said person. So yeah, they're starting it, to see... it's like the worst version of what it could be. Exactly. So it's it's all, you know, it's hallucinations um, all centering around their fears and regrets. Mm-hmm. So you've got Miller who sees... Corrick, who is a subordinate he was forced to abandon, and he ended up dying. Right. Um, Peter sees her son, who she left with her ex-husband, and and obviously he has some some issue with his legs. Yeah, they're we all, see that he's disabled. They're like yeah. lesions and and all of these things. So. Um, yeah, because we see an earlier video that she's watching of her pushing him around in his wheelchair. Yes. And then this is like she sees him on like in like uh, on the medical table. Apparently, originally it was supposed to be maggots, but it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, their first um, test screening. Well, I'm going to talk a lot about what could have been with this movie. Yeah. Their audience was like, no. Um, so then Weir sees an eyeless version of his wife who's dead, um, who committed suicide, and she's urging him to join her. And she's missing her eyes. Yes. Which we saw with the uh, the one crew member they found from the Event Horizon was also missing their eyes. And they're like, oh, explosive decompression. And they're like, that's not explosive decompression. Yeah. That's not how that would work. So then, um, if, if matters weren't worse enough, we we find a video log of the previous crew of the Event Horizon. Um, this is the bloody orgy. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big it's a big old big old fornicating party. Mutilating, fornicating, Mut- and for- mutilating. Fornicating and mutilating. <laughs> Sounds like a good Saturday. Um, <laughs> we drop your keys at the door. Oop, um, put them in the bowl. Put them in the bowl. <laughs> I don't know why I went swingers with this, but... I love it. No, hey. I'm here for it. Um, let's go. <laughs> let's go. COVID key parties. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so we find out that this is happening shortly after first engaging the the, the gravity drive. Yeah. Um, and then the video log ends with a shot of the Event Horizon's captain holding out his own eyes gouged from their Ugh, sockets. I love like, this shot. It's so gross. This is such a recurring theme. Like, so many of our... Um, affected people have no mm-hmm. eyeballs anymore so yeah because that's what happens to uh, uh justin as well yep so then um dj's like ah, i fucked up um so the latin that was actually in the um <laughs> thing that we found was not um save me uh-huh it was uh save Liber- save yourself from hell Liberate tutamet ex inferis. And you know what? Everyone is very calm. I would have slapped this motherfucker right across the fucking face. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Oh, boy. At least he owns his mistake. You know, there is that. The bar is in hell with the thing that's where we're saving ourselves from, but... You rarely see a man own his mistakes in a film. That's true. And the not pride in like a, would normally. I have to live with this sort of way. Yeah. Like it's he's like, nope, I fucked up. We need to move. No, we need you to have, motor. You have a valid point. You have a very valid point because normally how this narrative would go would be what you just um, said, or they would just like keep it to themselves because of their pride and their ego. Exactly. And then everything, and nobody would know the information. Yeah. So you, we see this all the time. That's a very valid point. With that being said, I still would have been, what the fuck is wrong with you? Hey, we all heard the original. We all heard the same thing. 
But you know what? If someone comes forward and says, I know what this means, then I'm going to be like, okay, yeah, tell me more. Like, he didn't, if he wasn't it, sure, he didn't he, have to. He, no, he, he, what he heard was liberate me. That's what all of us heard. And he's just like, I know Latin. That's what that means. That is what it means in Latin. But when it they got the clearer version on the event horizon, that's when he's like, book, that wasn't what I was supposed to hear. This is what I was supposed to hear. All valid points. I'm Just still trying. To, I'm still trying to slap him. Um, <laughs> you cut your you cut your hand on those cheekbones. That's Jason Isaac's baby. I have nails. Ooh, you're offering him a good time. What? What? <laughs> Descending into madness. Um, <laughs> I'd like to be really method with our uh, episodes. So here's the part in the movie where everybody decides what just happened. So what just <laughs> happened was. What happened was the ship's gravity drive opened a gateway to hell, basically, or at least a hellish dimension. But how can you know the difference? I, I certainly would not. Um, hell, hellish. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> and if the event horizon's just just there. It's just there. She's alive. It's just just there. It is alive. Just the portal to hell is there. Um, so then Miller decides to destroy the event horizon and orders an evacuation. Sounds, you know, I would probably be like, blow the motherfucker up, you know? Yeah. Um, let's get rid of this. And so Peters, though, is lured to her death by a hallucination Oof, of her this son. This is a rough one. Yeah, she she falls. Yeah. It's a really rough death because she sees her son, runs, and the ship has convinced her that the layout is different, and she just falls straight through a hole. Yeah. And crashes onto her back, and there's blood everywhere. It's great. And now we've got uh, Ware, who, our, our evil genius, basically, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's my baby. Um, he has gouged his own eyes out. And yeah, just pops them out. And is... Arguably possessed by the evil presence. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's been driven mad by the visions of his late wife, pretty much. And just like the presence of the ship, yeah. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. Um, so he loses his goddamn mind. Um, <laughs> no one reaps the benefits. There are no, no benefits. There are no benefits to this. <laughs> yes, you, you did the wedding singer this time. Oh my god. That's a first. Hey. Um, I do it all the time in person, just not on the podcast. Well, life imitates art. <laughs> Vice versa. <laughs> um, so, he's using, uh, an, or he uses, this happens, he uses an explosive device to destroy the Lewis and Clark. Yeah, they explained earlier in the film that you can detach the crew quarters from the rest of the ship. Yes. Uh, in case of any sort of failure, and it's fully livable. So he, he completely uh, destroys that. Yeah, he takes one um, of those little, uh, little bombs and... Pops it on top of the... Pops it in the Lewis That option, gone. So, the explosion ends up killing a Smith and blasts Cooper off into space. It's so, a real clever girl moment. You know, like in Jurassic Park when Muldoon dies? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> but he's like looking for the raptor and he's like, turns and she's there and he goes, clever girl. And then gets eaten. That's Smitty here where he's like, tearing the uh, place apart trying to find the bomb and and uh, shut it off before it can go but he gets to it and it's five seconds and he goes there you are anyway i just like that and whatever fuck, <laughs> fuck me you're mean to me it's early 
It is not. It is 1.16 p.m. I would still be asleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> so not everybody. There, There is still people alive in this movie, so it's not over. Yes. So Weir kills DJ by vivisecting him, which maybe you can explain yeah, vivisection what the hell that means. is when you, this is a little, this is like, I would say vivisection is a little shy of what this is. Uh, but yeah, vivisecting is like, you know when you do it, uh, when you see autopsies, right? And they mm. slice you down the middle and open you up and like pin the skin to either side and then like organs, yeah. right? That's vivisecting. What he does is vivisecting crossed with like suspension kink. It's kind of like in um, Midsummer a little bit. Yes. Yeah, yes. where that that awful, awful scene. Yes. But yeah, so he's hung with hooks by his, uh, the skin of his back, which is a perfectly, we are not kink shaming here, we will never, which is a perfectly acceptable kink. Uh, but it's like, I like that Paul Anderson used like crosses of sexuality and brutality here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so he's... Poor Jason Isaacs is dead. He's suspended by his back with his gut spilled all over the table. Cute. Yeah. Um, Thank you for explaining that. Um, So so he's dead. And then he... uh, We're also corner Stark on the bridge. Miller then decides to confront Weir. Comes to the rescue. Yeah, and, and... initiates like a 10 minute countdown until the event horizon will return to the other dimension by activating the gravity drive. So then Cooper, who has used the spacesuit's oxygen, wow, supply to propel himself back to the ship, appears at the bridge window. Weir shoots at him and is blown into space by the ensuing decompression. Yeah. Yeah, you have like 13 seconds before you go from like, a cute little balloon animal to like meow. <laughs> something like that. Uh, That's how more, I see it. I, I that is a much nicer version than what actually happens. Do you just pop like a balloon like someone? No, uh, it's worse. Um, so the thing with bodies is we are like human bodies. We're really good at like living at like one atmosphere, right? Like atmosphere is a is a, is a unit of measure to describe how much pressure there is around your body. It's like the only thing we're good at. Pretty much. I mean, hey, we're pretty good at being bipedal. Come on. Yeah, so you can you can withstand a couple of atmospheres of pressure on your body. What you can't withstand is zero atmospheres of pressure on your body. And this is why we don't go to space. <laughs> um, yeah, so when you go from one to zero, turns out it's real bad. You... Yeah, you also go from your internal body temperature being, you know, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit thereabouts, um, like 40-ish degrees Celsius or like 30-something degrees Celsius to negative 400 and something degrees Celsius. So your insides freeze. Mm-hmm. Thing is, they don't have any, they create, that creates pressure inside of you. And so any of your soft bits just... Go and I mean by soft bits I mean like eardrums, eyes, sinus butthole. cavities, butthole. <laughs> I'm that is very true. You die out of your ass. Uh, yeah. So, moral of the story: don't go into space without a suit. I would agree with that. It's not going to go well. No, I would. I, yeah. Miller, Stark, and Cooper are are three survivors, and they manage to seal off the ship's bridge. But their own ship is destroyed, if you guys didn't remember that part. Um, 
Miller plans to split the event horizon in two and then uses the forward section of the ship as a lifeboat. Just as it was designed. Yeah. So he's like, Cooper, go activate the distress beacon. Stark, get the stasis chambers ready. Delegating tasks. We love it. We love it. Good captain. Yes. Bless. Um, So, but then he's attacked by manifestations of Korok, which turns out to be the resurrected Dr. Weir. Motherfucker, just like a fucking cockroach. Can't kill him. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Miller fights him off and detonates the explosives, sacrificing himself. Every space movie has to have a good sacrifice. Oh, we love a sacrifice. It always does. Especially when it's like, when it's the captain, you know? Yeah. They're like, nope, I got to do this. Yep. Turns out. And then just in time, the gravity drive activates, pulling the ship's stern section into a black hole. Stark and Cooper enter stasis um, beside a comatose Justin and wait to be rescued. We've got 72 days later, the wreckage of the event horizon is boarded by a rescue party. Hello. Rescuing the rescue party. This is like when they had to tug the tugboat. Yikes. Like when you see a tow truck getting towed. Aw, just doing the best. Yeah, tow trucks are the cops of trucks. Toot toot, gotta scoot. <laughs> so they they discover the remaining crew. They're still in stasis. They're relaxing. Um, <laughs> just having a little nap. Just having a little nap. A little 70, 72 day nap. A little five month casual nap. Um, I guess 72 days would be like two and a half months. Anyway, um, Stark sees Weir posing as one of the rescuers and screams in terror. Poor thing. Um, But then this is revealed to be a nightmare with Stark waking up moments later. Cooper and the rescue team comfort the newly awakened and terrified Stark as the bulkheads close. Cut to credits to this electronic rock music that was so prevalent in the late 90s. Yeah, it was from Orbital. Um. (laughs) Oh, man. So, I love this movie. It makes me... And I don't so much. (laughs) (laughs) But it's mainly because I have a bone to pick with sci-fi and not all sci-fi like i like i want to be very clear i like alien i like um annihilation i like a lot of um sci-fi movies you're even on board with them like you don't hate this movie you don't hate sunshine it's just something about it doesn't i I wouldn't have agreed to cover it if i you know if i didn't have an interest but the bone that i kind of have to pick with sci-fi sometimes Yes, it's asking you to suspend your disbelief and just go with it. But sometimes I find that trying to keep up with the terminology is really tedious. And a lot of movies don't do a great job of translating that to someone who didn't grow up watching sci-fi and isn't versed in sci-fi. Totally. Like I found, I have found myself in previous situations where I've been watching a sci-fi movie and I'll get to the middle and this happened with this one where, where I'm like, okay, I literally have not, I've maybe looked at my phone once or like I've not left the room I've been Mm -hmm. watching and I have subtitles on. So I have also been reading and I don't know what the fuck is happening because yeah. I'm so distracted by all of these words that I don't even begin. I can't even begin to know what they mean. And there's a way around that where um, where you can show your audience what you mean. Yes. 
Like, the only reason that I know what stasis is is from watching Alien. And when we watched Alien, I asked you, I don't know what this means. What is that? Yeah. And so it annoys me that it's not as accessible. And I get that you can't, like, be like, we're going to go into stasis where we do this, this, and this. It's not an educational... You know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. So I'm torn with this because I'm... I find sci-fi movies to be sometimes incredibly tedious to watch um, and therefore not enjoyable. Totally. And I think the tough one with this was in the beginning, I really liked it. In the like, yeah. I want to say that the first 30 minutes of this movie, very strong. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just descends into like, and I'm sure this, w- I know that there's a longer cut out there that was actually what was supposed to go. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of studio interference there. And again, it was rushed. Like there are all these reasons why this movie has its issues. But my main issue with it is it's it's a little tedious to follow. And then also once you get to all the action, it's kind of just like it's all CGI and practical effects and action. And I don't know. I don't know. I have trouble caring about it. I want a little, a touch more backstory from Dr. Weir. Yeah. I want a touch more of that. And maybe the extended cut has it. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. But I just, I don't know. I I struggle with this movie. I liked it at the beginning. And then once I realized I, I was like, wait, something happened and I don't understand. Yeah. This is a movie that deserves to be two hours long. Yeah. This is And is, I never say that. No, you don't. Uh the original cut was 130 minutes. Yes. So Anderson originally had a 130 minute cut, which he was forced to get cut down and he's like, "Yeah, no, that's totally fine. 130 minutes too long." I agree. But it, because of the like super horrible reaction to the te- uh, from the test screenings and why are we doing test screenings? Shut the fuck up. I don't care what audiences think ahead of time. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, oh, okay, so I'm going to spend all this time and money making most of a movie, or an entire movie, and then you're going to make me go spend more money? Like, you're spending money on the audiences, and you have to spend money on reshoots, because they test audiences never like anything, because audiences are stupid. They're very dumb sometimes. Like, sometimes they're smart, but sometimes they're really dumb. See, I'm... I'm In sci-fi, I'm a very dumb audience member. Right, but it's... You're not, one. And this is... So this is what I want to circle back to in a second. But that thought I want to get back to. But yeah, so there is a version of this that includes more exposition, but... It's spaced out, so it's not just like... Spaced out. Um, So it's not just like (laughs) a long brick of text, you know? Yeah. And it had more gore. It had... Like, they they really reduced the gore in this. I know, and I like the gore in it. And I'm not saying I would have wanted more because I do actually think the gore in this is pretty perfect. Yeah, I mean, I could have used a little more here and there. But, you know, I can see where they pulled pulled the punches is all. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, I, I just have, like I said, I have a, I have a bone to pick with some sci-fi films, and I honestly think that that's why sci-fi as a genre, even more so than horror, can be a little gatekeepy. Definitely, and I, I agree with you there, and I think that sucks. It does. Um, it does. It's really shitty because, like, it. Why? Why? Yeah. And the one reason why that I do understand that just sort of comes with the territory is. When you have fantastic fantasy has this problem too, but fantasy yeah. is a little more familiar to everyone mm-hmm. because everybody's just using Tolkien. Yeah. But when you have fantasy that's not Tolkien or like Arthurian, mm-hmm. it takes a lot to get that concept off the ground. You know what yeah. I mean? And so with certain sci-fi, 
it's a little harder. Like, Annihilation's a little easier because they just... One, Alex Garland's a very good writer. Um, yeah. And even though you, Sunshine's not your favorite, you don't hate it. Like, you got what was going on in Sunshine. No, I have a very... You, you know, I can... Obviously, since we have this podcast, I can I can look at things objectively and say yeah. I understand why other people would like this. And then there are some movies where I'm like, why does anybody like this? You yes. know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, nobody should watch this. But that that's not any of these sci-fi movies we're, no. we're, we're talking about. I can under, fully understand why people are enthralled with these types of movies 100%. Yeah. It's just not, it's not my thing, again, because I kind of find it a little bit tedious to watch. Right. And it's because you're being gatekept. And sometimes that comes with this uh, process called bootstrapping, mm-hmm. right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is a phrase that was meant as a joke. Yeah. Of like, do you see why this is stupid? Mm-hmm. Uh, people talk about like lifting yourself out of poverty. The, the phrase was, yeah, you might as well just pull yourself up, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? Yeah. Which is impossible. Yeah. It, yeah it's, and mm-hmm. yeah, but it's become now in like, uh, it gets used in coding link. Like when talking about coding, you can talk about bootstrapping, but also with getting a concept off the ground. And that's, it's described the trouble of it because trying to say like, like Star Wars is not sci-fi, not really, right? right. It's space opera. It's fantasy and space. Yeah, I've always seen it as as um, space is just the setting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, this is what's referred to, and I, I hate this term, I think I've used it before, but it's called hard sci-fi, mm-hmm. where it's more focused with like heady concepts. It's, you know, it's your Arthur C. Clarke's, your, uh, your, your Isaac's Asimov. Yeah. Your, it's, it's obsessed with, or like, like Harlan Ellison, right? It's, yeah. It's obsessed with looking at it's speculative fiction but it's like so it's it's asking what if but to get to the what if you have to like do some homework yeah and that sucks in a movie sometimes like i get it it's it's because i'm so familiar with the language of these and i've read all of this stuff that yeah. i know what they're talking about but it's I, I have the the rubric or the the almanac or the the rosetta stone right right and i mean for the most part for the most part in movies, I'm like, especially in fantasy, I can follow those pretty easily. And again, there are some sci-fi that I really feel like I can follow. Like, I can roll with the punches where I'm like, yep, don't know what that means, but I'll figure it out. You know, like, I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm suspending my disbelief. This might not even be a real thing. You know, like, we're we're yeah. in a we're, we're in a situation, we're in a movie. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't like real life. Um, so, or hopefully not, dear God. Um, <laughs> so... But but it's just once it gets so tedious to the point where if I'm missing, if there are too many missing pieces to the puzzle, I can't complete the puzzle sort of thing. Yes. It's okay if I don't know, you know, what one or two things in context clues, I can figure that out. But it's just, it's when it gets to that breaking point, the yeah. tedious yeah. part. Um, and that's that sucks, you know, that that's... that's something that keeps people out of a genre that I personally find fascinating and that I love. Like I, there's sci-fi is probably my favorite short, uh, genre. That's not like horror. And right. even for reading, it's my favorite genre. Like I, you know how, you know what I read when I'm not <laughs> right. Do it. Like um, I'm, I'm working my way through Vonnegut's body of work right now. And he's probably the most accessible sci-fi writer. Cause he's like, nah, I don't fuck with the hard shit. I just like to like set my stuff in a weird sci-fi thing and that's it. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna be Dada about it. Yeah. Like he did uh, the one I'm reading right now. It's post-apocalyptic, and he doesn't. He hasn't even. Bo- I'm halfway through, and he hasn't bothered to explain why. Yeah. You know, it's just it just is. Um, but like, I love Asimov. I've read a bunch of his books. Ne- I'll never read all of them. There's like 800, but you know, 
I, I like exploring those concepts and reflecting on what they mean about us now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, I hate it. Like, mm-hmm. it's the same way that, like, we were, we were comparing it to, you, you used the phrase, it's like math to me. And I hate that. Not from you, but for you. Right? Yeah. Because math is not hard. It's just treated as if it is. And so people yeah, and if you are don't get have a kept good, out of it. Yeah. If you don't have a good teacher, you know, and I never had a good math teacher. Yeah. Um, not, not a one. So I, I just, if you don't learn the foundations, then you can't really build yeah. upon it sort of thing. And, and that so, sucks because like, I love math. It's one of my favorite things. I love that for you. I just, it, yeah. when it becomes so frustrating, it's really hard to, it's really hard to 100%. enjoy. hundred percent. But it's one of those uh, things I'm like, oh yeah, I have this whole pet theory. It's not really the place for it, but I'll just say it real quick. There's no such thing as like talent. There's only, uh, everything's a skill. Everything's a trade, right? right. You can have more aptitude for it. Mm-hmm. But you have to develop it, and anyone can enjoy and love something. It's like a, like math. Is, the way that math got fixed for me is that it's a language. Mm-hmm. And once I started thinking of math as a language, I was like, oh, okay, then I get it now, right? Yeah. And it's the same. It's the same with like sci-fi, right? Like or, or any sort of genre. It's just reading what it is and get, becoming familiar with what it is. Yeah, but that sucks, right? Like romantic comedy, you've already done. You're you're given that language just sort of in passing as you grow up. Yeah, sci-fi you have to seek out a little bit more. It's the same way we talk about with horror, though. Like when we talk about it as a genre, it's gatekept and that's stupid. Don't fucking do that. Yeah, but there's an in, there's a passive gatekeeping that happens where you're like not understanding the references that are going on. Yeah, that's why we talk about horror primer movies, right? Totally, totally. Movies that uh, contemporary horror. Uh, pulls references from all the time like like we say you know john carpenter stuff is yeah. a main one um, we use evil dead too as like we called that one of the best primer movies 100 percent um but yeah that's that's kind of like it's it's less of an issue with this movie uh specifically and it's more about the sci-fi genre for me um and this no, movie totally. kind of i would love to see the director's cut um, if it exists, so supposedly it does on a lot a VHS, of the, supposedly apparently, but that know. was nine years ago that he said that, and there's been no move to release it. So I would think that if there were actually that cut, that it would be released by now. You know. So I also kind of think that with this movie, there, there are good baby ideas within it, mm-hmm. but all of it smushed together kind of doesn't translate well for me. I think that. Like, there are some elements of it that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's a horrifying situation. I love that. I love that they're using this kind of, like, weird force because that's playing on people's fears of the unknown. Space is already unknown to, you know, most yeah. of the population. So we've already got that setting. And then you add, like, we don't, we don't see what's happening. It's just this whatever entity or cosmic yeah. thing that's going on is wreaking havoc on their mental state and totally doing all of these things. And then you add the portal that's basically to hell. Like, it's, yeah, or at least through it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It's something, something of that matter. It, it like, there are terrifying elements to this and I just, I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't click for me quite. Yeah. And again, I think that's where an extra 30 minutes would have done this really yeah. good. You know, mm-hmm. like even another 20 minutes would have done a lot more for this movie. Yeah. Uh, and it sucks that the studio was so horrified by test screenings. Um, and also they had, they had stopped watching the dailies before they started shooting the gore mm-hmm. apparently. So they were like, what the fuck? Dude, he's like, it's rated R. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that again, I think the gore in this is, is great. The kills are are really inventive they're clever and, and fun yeah 
yeah, good I space kills too because like yeah. you would, you, like only one of them involves decompression mm-hmm. which you would think like oh okay so someone's gonna be like you, you you're using the elements yeah, yeah. it's it's like a, uh, in the descent like okay yes yeah, someone is going to fall down a hole yeah. and so you're like okay but everybody could do that and I'm glad that they didn't go that direction I'm also glad they didn't use a literal alien that it was um, the or not a physical manifestation of an alien, right? Don't show the monster. Yeah, and you literally never see the monster in this because there is no monster. It's just like evil, capital E. You know? Yeah, yeah. There, are, there are definitely bits and pieces of this that that could come together to make a stellar horror film. To me, like the whole um, questioning of whether something is real, mm-hmm. and, you you know all of that, and and the audience comes along for the ride in those types of um, narratives normally. So there are so many bits and pieces here that could come together to be a, an extremely successful horror film. Um, I mean, I kind of hope that the TV series does actually come to fruition. I do too. I would I'm also like to, to be. See. I would like to be called in for it. You know, I would love to write on that. Yeah, um, no, it's. It I'll seems take an like, episode of my hands, you know? It seems like a very fun um, endeavor. So, I mean, I, I hope, I, I really hope that it actually happens and I can we can see where this sort of plot could actually be explored in different Absolutely, ways. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I would like to. One thing that we should shout out is just how awesome this movie is uh, in terms of its, uh, its diversity. Oh, definitely. Two black characters, one of whom survives to the end. I was about to say, neither of them die first. Yeah. So um, you've got that hideous like, trope in <laughs> horror films. Uh, two women, neither of whom, like one of them is like got a mother thing, but yeah. there's not like it's not about her. It's not so much about her feelings as a mother. It's that like. She's going to do her job and had to leave. So her ex-husband traditionally is taking over the, and I'm putting in air quotes, like the woman's role. The house spouse. The house spouse. Yeah. Yeah. So she's I, going to work and he has to take care of the kid. So it's a, it's actually a pretty progressive. Yeah. Like for a, 1997. Yeah. Even know? for, I mean, hell today. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um. So even though it, it does have to do with her mother, uh, uh, with her role as a mother, I still like that it's not, you know... Um, it's not traditional, though, in exactly, in that yeah, problematic yeah. sense. Right. I also love, like, just shouting out the the acting again, I love Sam Neill as, like, a Hugo Weaving type in this. Mm-hmm. Letting him be sinister. And not even sinister, but, like, well, he he becomes that. But it's, I love his transformation of this, of, like... Scientist who doesn't get it, right? He's mm-hmm. theoretical, not practical, versus the practical crew who's like, bro, we need to like figure something out and go. I'm not worried about your goddamn gravity engine. Shut up. Yeah, no, I'm um, here for the acting. I think it's great. Yeah, but then having him turn into the manifestation of the villain, not even the villain himself, but like just a, a pawn by the end. Yeah. Um, Lawrence Fishburne's performance is amazing. Chef's kiss. Yeah, this is an early Jason Isaacs role, and I can see why he started getting a lot of roles after this. Because 100%. holy shit, it's funny. I've been listening to the uh, that Avatar podcast, uh, Braving the Elements, mm-hmm. and I can't wait for them to have him on because apparently him and Dante Bosco were good buddies. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, he was the main villain from season one of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah. Um, General Zhao. And so, yeah, I, I love, love, love Jason Isaacs. I think he should be in everything, and I want him to be on screen more. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's just, it's like, this is a pretty early role for him, and I love that. Sam Pertwee's amazing, too, as Smitty. Like, this is, like, cockney, 
pissed off pilot slash technician. Sounds like so Billy good. Idol. Yeah. When he talks. <laughs> Got like this low kind of like gruff voice. Yeah. No, the acting in this is is great. Um, it's really, it's kind of the storytelling that falls short for me. Yeah. And I think, again, that is, that comes down to just massive, like to cut 40 minutes out of a film. It sounded like a very chaotic uh, production. Yeah. So I... I mean, good good for them for it turning into a cult classic, you and know. To, for this to be as good as it late. is with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it goes back to one of those one of those things where where, you know, um creativity versus the business, you know, and like mm-hmm. wanting to make money and what's going to be palatable and make yeah. money. And sometimes that completely I I think that that's a misfire a lot of times. I think that that is kind of creates all of these obvious like plot holes creates all these issues where you then don't have a cohesive thing yeah and i think like where this succeeds is that the crew is the right size yeah as opposed to sunshine which does take more time to delve into its backstories but has too many too much of a cast the cast is bloated no i would i would Um, agree fantastic cast but there's people you could cut you know yeah um and so I think that's the, like, because these movies are compared so much. Yeah. Uh, Any movie in space is, like, always compared. It's, well, and it's, it's, it, it's specifically, the, these plots are very similar. They're not exactly the same, but I can see why Sunshine gets called for, like, ripping off of In Horizon. It didn't, but I can see why it does, you know? Yeah. Like, malevolent, unseen force that drives you crazy. Yeah. Is in space, and you're lost in space, and you you go to a second ship and in all of that. In Sunshine's like, um, case, it's... The literal sun. It's literally the sun, <laughs> which is awesome. No, I love that. <laughs> what if the sun was evil? Dope. Great idea. See, that's what I'm saying is that like a lot of these sci-fi movies have such great core ideas. The skeleton mm-hmm. is there. It's just sometimes with the execution, I'm like, okay, this is not enjoyable to watch because it's so tedious. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's my... And, and then to wrap up that thesis is that I, this probably would have been a better movie if the studio hadn't gotten involved. And we say that all the time. Yeah. And it's one of... Like, I mean, we've also said when in the studio saves things, you know? Like, yeah. okay, good on the studio because that was a dumb idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's. I understand that sometimes creative needs to be reined in by the suits. Or at least somebody who's like, no, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's stupid. No one's going to understand that. Right. Anyhow, that's really what I have to say today. Um, I love this movie. Go watch it. Yes, I definitely think it's worth. It's definitely worth a watch, especially you know if there's a TV series coming out, you want to be primed for it too. Which Bet. again, I really hope that that comes to fruition. So we just want to thank you guys for listening to our 100th episode. That's, yeah, dude, a hundred episodes of this podcast. Amazing. Um, thank you guys for sticking with us for these past two years. Shoosh. I know it's crazy. Um, and congratulations to our winner of of the giveaway. We just announced it on Instagram today. So congratulations, yeah, check it out. big congratulations. And if you're not following us on Instagram, go ahead and follow us. We're at Horror Babes Podcast, and we're on Twitter as well at Horror Babes Pod. And we have a little web website horrorbabespod.com correct and if you're if you're enjoying us go to itunes give us a little rate review tell your friends and until next time bye bye, babes hey babe yeah babe